Well, God is good. Life is good. It's given us a beautiful spring. And how about them hawks? Right, Joe Foreman? All right. Last month, we started a series on body and life integrity. And we addressed the question, what is the church? And to review, the church is composed of living stones, you and me, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the Word of God, of which the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The church is strongest when its members are interconnected, which comes from relationship, which comes from an involvement with the whole body, not just a segregated age or interest group. The Bible tells us that the church is fitly fitted together by which every joint supplies, meaning that each of us plays an important role in the body. The church needs its members and families or households, and we, in turn, need the church. Believers in the church also have a responsibility to be light to the world and to be most effective in that role. What the church teaches and learns on Sunday has to be carried forward or integrated into the remainder of the week and our lives and the world. Now, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that experience as well as the body, uh, the Bible teaches us that marriage and the family are essential to our culture. They provide a safe environment in which to train up vulnerable children to become servant leaders. Now, we can complain about the intentional efforts, not only of Hollywood, which we expect, but even our own government to minimize and marginalize the family and faith in our culture. This objective, yet underreported evidence of this effort, especially in the last few years, is overwhelming. However, the real fault for the degeneration of the family lies somewhere else. I want to read to you a portion of an editorial by a guy named Cal Thomas, published exactly one month ago today in the Capital Journal, uh, that makes the point well. The title of the article is, The God Gap is Widening. And in it, he explains that we've got a generation gap and we've got a gender gap. And then he explains about the God gap, and this is somewhat political, which I'm not going to get into, uh, but he says, a, new, a recent New York Times story reported that for the first time in our history that more than half of the births to American women under the age of 30 occur outside marriage. Then he also points to a Washington research group uh, n- which noted that the shift in the makeup of American families was likely to produce children who faced, quote, elevated risk of falling into poverty, failing in school, or suffering emotional and behavioral problems. 
he concludes with this. Too many of today's clergy seemed preoccupied with building personal empires and monstrous buildings. They go on costly TV instead of investing in the less visible work of the church, which is people, not brick and mortar. The first Christians met in homes, not megachurches. They took care of each other and did not rely on government to sustain them. Many pastors today dislike sermons about sin and repentance because it makes people uncomfortable. And so we get instead the discomfort of social decay and an ever-widening God gap. Materialism and pleasure contribute to social rot. Social rot precedes national decline. These have become our twin false gods, contemporary golden calves, as unable to produce satisfaction as the idols of biblical times. Most politicians will not urge restraint or personal sacrifice, and too many pastors allow the secular world to set their agenda. And so the God gap widens, and the wisdom and understanding of the older generation goes unheard and unheeded. Now, if you find yourself agreeing with Mr. Thomas, but not knowing what to do about it, well, you're really not alone. You see, we don't like conflict. And the last thing we want is for people to see us as outside of the mainstream. So we tend to resign ourselves to the inevitable. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. It's just easiest to kind of fall in line, kind of like sheep being led to the slaughter. Now, when I decided a few years ago to get involved with the effort to amend the Kansas Constitution to define marriage as one man and one woman, the thought that occurred to me was not that this is going to save the institution of marriage, but rather that it was the right thing to do, and that I did not want to look back and think that on my watch I did not do what I could have done. Now, despite a constitutional amendment, Marriage and the family are under greater attack than ever. Now, what is the most effective way to preserve the family? Certainly, law and governmental policy stand as a signpost of what society considers important, and I don't think we should lie down and allow anti-biblical ideas to dominate our law and our legal system. However, the real answer lies not in the legislature or Congress or the Supreme Court or even a conservative homeschooling president. The real answer lies in the church as the moral conscience of the world, as salt and light. The only way to really change the world is by changing the hearts of people. Law, man's law, is just a barometer or a symptom of where we really are in our hearts. Our cultural foundations are under assault right now 
by our own government. And the beleaguered family desperately needs the church to teach, model, and build up the family if it is to continue in its vital role. When the family is no longer a part of the higher purposes of the church, societal erosion is inevitable. Problems in families, including Christian families, seem to be growing. One possible reason is that the church is simply not fulfilling its role of strengthening families. So let's take a look at some of the symptoms and how it has affected the next generation. Josh McDowell, with whom some of you may be familiar, uh, wrote a book several years ago called Right from Wrong. And he interviewed almost 4,000, about 3,800 children from Christian families. And of those, he found that a third defined family as people related to one another by birth, adoption, or marriage. One-third. Sixty percent opted instead for the cultural definition of those who deeply care about you or about whom you deeply care. In other words, emotion, not commitment, was the defining element. Almost two-thirds of the kids from Christian families would therefore classify unmarried cohabitation and homosexual arrangements as a family. Of this same group, a clear majority, 57%, did not even know that an objective standard of truth, right and wrong, exists. Now, this was, I think, 15 years ago or more. I suspect it's higher today, much higher. Of course, this is exactly what the vast majority of children, including Christian children, are learning from our culture. So what do we expect? Moral relativism heaped upon Christian youth through school, peers, and media seem to be winning out over the church and parental influence. However, on closer look, we see another possible and more fundamental cause. Of that group, 54% of the kids from Christian families say they seldom or never talk to their fathers about personal concerns. And they spend five, maybe 15 minutes at the most per week talking to their dads about anything that really matters. Think about that. Again, about 15 years ago, the Washington Times highlighted a study in which nine out of ten churches surveyed, reported trouble keeping high schoolers involved. Four out of five of the youth leaders reported that their goal was to have the youth apply their faith to their daily lives, but only a quarter of them indicated that their youth program was accomplishing that goal. The conclusion of the article was, youth desire relationships, meaningful relationships with adults in the congregation. Now, why these signs? The church at large, as the moral core of our nation, has lost its own sense of family and community. As Cal Thomas points out, churches are often more concerned about buildings, performance, 
and frankly, numbers. When parents and children do not relate to one another or else relate poorly, we often call that a dysfunctional family because it doesn't work well. When that family dysfunction is brought to a church body where it is reinforced by segregated groups that do not relate to one another, it's not hard to see how we can become a dysfunctional church or, at best, an emasculated, weakened body. Now, most churches appear polished and professional, usually with a great choir or a really loud worship band and images on the screen and stirring sermons and and smiling faces. But round about 1203, when the church body disperses to its individual households, the family members often retreat to their man caves, video games, earbuds, and eye things. And neither the neighbors nor the larger community notices any difference the other six days and 21 hours of the week. Now, without an integrated sense of being fitly framed together, many within the church, frankly, are walking away. And others outside the church don't see any reason to engage because Christianity is viewed as a list of do's and don'ts instead of a life-giving community of loving and committed relationships. Now, some of you, honestly, depending on your involvement in this body, may be thinking, you know, I really love our church. I don't see Lion and Lamb having the problems that Kent's talking about now. Uh, Maybe Kent's just exaggerating for effect. Well, I'm speaking about the church at large. True. But I would like to talk about Lion and Lamb at the end of this message. Maybe a little bit of a surprise. Maybe a little uncomfortable. Our goal today is to nail down Why is it important to minister as a church? It's always important to define your terms. Uh, By church, I obviously don't mean the building. I don't even mean the organized church. I mean the integrated ministry of believers. So let's start with a question. Why do we as individuals and families or households need the church? And this is where your study sheet picks up. We're going to start with the very first point. It's because God says so. In Hebrews 10, we read this. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but rather encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Assembling together of the saints is not an option 
for believers. Now, most churches have some of their members who tend toward reaching out to the lost. Uh, You might call these ministry-minded people. And most churches also have others who lean towards separation from the world, and we might call those purity people. Now, these are both valid concerns and approaches which tend to balance one another out in good churches. Now, over the years, I've had some close friends who are in the latter camp, the purity people. And without a counterbalance, this can evolve into isolation, even from other believers. The end result can be a family worshiping at home by itself. Now, while I do appreciate the desire to keep one's family unspotted from the world, I got a hard time squaring that with the Word of God. Yes, having family devotions is vital to a biblically functioning family. And those particular families may be able to teach all of us something about having family devotions. But I can think of no more effective way to put my light under the basket and to ignore the clear message of Scripture than to home church as a single family to the exclusion of regular assembling with others. The context and explicit terms of Hebrews 10 make it clear that the author is talking about a corporate meeting of brothers and sisters in Christ drawing near. Let me be clear. Consistent assembly with other believers is commanded in the word. Why? The stated reason is, in general, to stimulate and encourage one another to good works. Now, after the introductory message on this series last month, I was frankly humbled and blessed by a father who approached me to say that his family had worshipped on their own for over a decade until they found a home at Lion and Lamb. Now, this family provides a shining example to the rest of this body of sacrificial love that we would be missing if they had continued on their own. He said that his family is so thankful to be part of a loving church. Frankly, I would argue that the rest of this church is even more blessed to have that family here encouraging and stimulating us. As we studied last month in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul makes it clear that each member of the body has a different role and a gift to share. You know, one can only share his or her gift if you're here, if you're engaged in the body. Now, do we really have to go to church? Well, God tells us to. Do we really need any other reason? Being a part of a church is essential to our health as individuals and families, and as we get closer to the day when Christ will return, we will face more difficult times and persecutions. God's enemies will increase in strength, but difficulties should never be excuses for opting out of assembling together, but rather motivations to seek out fellowship and corporate worship. 
We must obey God. We must not forsake coming together as a body. The second reason that we need church is because the church is where we find spiritual protection. Okay? Now, one place that you could serve here at Lion Lamb is as in the position of what we call greeters or welcomers, you know, the kind of the first people that you meet when you come in the door. And, you know, these people, while they try to discern if there's any concerns or special needs of new folks when they walk in the door, you know, we don't check IDs at the door. In fact, we welcome anyone who comes in. Now, the risk of this approach is that anyone who doesn't present a clear and present danger, you know, can walk in and befriend us, even with what the Bible calls strange doctrines. In Hebrews 13, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as they will give an account. And Paul, in speaking to the elders at the church of Ephesus, said this in Acts 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, speaking to elders or church leaders. Now, we don't have time to cover all the aspects of church leadership here today, but it's important to understand that elders and deacons are not to lead by lording it over members of the body, but rather by example. 1 Peter 5 essentially tells us that humble members are to be under the protection of humble leaders. Church leaders in a lion lamb, we call them elders and deacons, must give an account for his sheep. They are under shepherds, accountable to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, and they are to keep watch over the souls. If a lone ranger Christian is outside their influence because he does not assemble with a larger body, well, he's not protected. Christ instituted the gathering of the church for many reasons, and protection is one of them. The next one we want to go to is because church is where adults are taught, and hopefully children, to model Christ. At Lion and Lamb, we think that family is pretty important. The reason we encourage strong families and households is because the Word of God does just that. Now, speaking of leaders, in uh, 1 Timothy 3, Paul said that to be a leader in the church, one must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Then Paul goes on and asks the rhetorical question, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? Familial relationships are emphasized throughout the Word. In fact... The Old Testament, the whole thing, ends with a rather dire or else. In Malachi 4.6, it says, The prophet will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and smite the land with a curse. Now, in order for fathers 
to turn their hearts to children. They must be taught to minister effectively to their own children and then challenged and encouraged to persevere, to keep doing so. The failure to do that is indicative of the broader failure of the church to equip fathers to play this role. In Titus 2, older women, older, older women and men are to teach the younger by the word of God, but more so by example. This is how biblical values are passed from one generation to the next. The church must continue to instruct adults in the difficult task of shepherding families, and we must continue to support one another in common biblical principles and values. If what the church is doing to encourage uh, its families and individual members could be improved upon, my opinion is that the church should be open to reexamination of itself and its methods. What do you think? The next one we want to look at is because the church, the reason we need the church is because it is the community in which households and individuals serve. Families need to serve because they are a microcosm of the church. They're a little model of the church. Inherent in all families are different aspects of government, of charity, of law, of justice, of compassion. And these components enable families to serve in dynamic ways. In Psalm 68, it says that God puts the lonely in families. And through the church, families come into contact with lonely people and reach out to them. When families serve people in this way, those people are strengthened and encouraged to become energy givers as well. One of the best ways to grow as a family is to, frankly, serve as one. You know, when your children see you as the parents being others-minded, you know, you're down there serving food at the rescue mission, uh, they have an example to follow. Then, when families and individuals serve together as part of the church, each household, each individual becomes a part of a team and something bigger than themselves. This, in turn, strengthens the body. The next point, the next reason that the church is so necessary is that the church is where fellowship can be found. Earlier we mentioned that there are some great families out there who isolate themselves. And it is true that the Bible teaches that we should be separate from the word, the world, excuse me. Second Corinthians 6 starting at verse 14, says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be the sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. However, as we studied last month, the same author, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, 
makes it abundantly clear that he does not intend for us to check out of the business of being light to unbelievers and other believers as well. What he talks about in 2 Corinthians 6 that we just read is all in context of 1 Corinthians 5. We are to be a light to the world, and we are to keep the church and one another accountable and pure. And if you're not in the church, if you're not assembling, you can't do that. Fellowship in a body provides accountability, balance, stability, humility, encouragement, and a compass. What's a compass for? To keep us on course. Families, if left by themselves, can become lost or without purpose. Heart-level relationships within the church keeps us as families on course and on purpose and lessens the possibilities that our family and our family members will wander. Families that isolate themselves from the local body end up being irrelevant to the life of the church and the community. The ironic thing is that that these families tend to be the most serious about their faith, so their absence can hurt the rest of the body. They may believe that they're protecting their family, but they are actually neglecting their biblical responsibility to the body. Paul warned that we need one another. We are all imperfect parts of the same imperfect body. We each, each part is necessary, no one member more important than another. Now I'm going to skip the sixth point on uh, your, your sheet there and cover that later in the service. I want to go back right now to, uh, to address the issue of lion and lamb itself, this body. And I will agree with you. Every church body is different, and we don't really know what's going on right now in, in, in other bodies. But by our general awareness and what others have told us who have joined us more recently, it could very well be that we have stumbled over a better way to function as a body compared to a lot of others situations. Lion and Lamb appears to have stronger families, very few disputes. We don't shy away from the truth. Mike delivers very insightful and challenging messages. Uh, there are many engaged in, in the body outside of the Sunday morning, and many of the Lion and Lamb saints are ministering to other believers and non-believers. Lion and Lamb is not made up of perfect families, and it's certainly not a perfect church, but you know, among ourselves, I, th- I think most of us think we're pretty, doing pretty well, actually. Yet, if we take a closer look at lion and lamb, you will find that we do have problems. We have families that are hurting internally. I say that as the head of a household which has struggled under my leadership mightily. We also have significant gaps within our community. There's a whole segment of this body that is not tied into anything other than this Sunday morning meeting. We've got great folks and whole families who have yet to connect deeply, whom we're grateful to see on Sunday mornings, yet they're not really plugged in anywhere else. 
There is much more we could do to fortify our community as salt and shed the light of Christ to the world around us. This fellowship has so many gifts and huge potential yet to be tapped. Now, I could be wrong, but if you think that lion and lamb could not possibly be stronger or closer as a body, that we're as salty and as bright as we're ever going to be, would you please come talk to me? Please. Let's step back and take a look at our nature. Young people, if I were to ask to take a poll here uh, about how many of you have heard questions from your parents about why you want to spend so much time with your friends, I think I might get close to a 100% response. Well, a news flash. The feeling's mutual. Uh, your parents have the very same desire. Whether it's a mom who spends a full day with little children and who would kill at the end of the day for an adult conversation, or an old fogey like me who just wants to talk sometimes to some seasoned citizens about some topics, you know, that's a common natural desire. And frankly, I think it's wrong, there's, there's, excuse me, there's nothing wrong for young people being taught by godly adults who reinforce my instruction at home. And Mosaic, the youth program here at, at, at Lion Lamb, does that. It's appropriate at times for adults to study a topic that would challenge even some teenagers who simply don't have the capacity to understand the topic, or the full application. It's important for children to have good friends who share common values. However, if children rarely talk to their own parents about spiritual things, and parents rarely or never disconnect from their work or their devices in order to relate to one another, the family will likely end up dysfunctional. In the same way, if from the time a family enters the church doors, the kids never talk to adults, they only sit with friends, the married couples don't relate to the singles or the older saints, this may just be a sign that the church could be dysfunctional or impotent or at least less than it should be. In short, it may not be fitly framed together. Now, I know I have painted a black and white picture that really never truly exists. But is it possible that at times we get close? I want to challenge. First, husbands, be biblical men. Love and sacrifice for your wives as Christ did for the church. Put her above all others on the earth. Listen carefully to her advice, and then care enough about your children to interact and to train them on a consistent basis. Lead your family. Lead your family consistently in devotions and by your example the rest of the time. Don't just attend here. Take an active role in Lion and Lamb by volunteering for something. 
Wives, be biblical women. Provide wise counsel, honor, and support for your husband as the head. And you, you be the heart, a strong heart for your home. Your balance fulfills and completes your marriage and makes it a whole. To all of the women here, you play a complementary and vital role in the family and in the church. Without women, the church could not and practically would not function as it should. Please remember, ladies, I'm a man, and I can change if I have to, I guess. Young women, and we've got a great group of young women here at Lion and Lamb, but please get involved with and learn from other godly older women. Find a way to serve. Some of you already have, so that you can develop uh, a deeper and more virtuous, meek and quiet spirit. More of you could add so much to the vitality of this body. Young men, yeah, we've got some great young men as well. I must spend a little more time here. Uh, I'm not an expert in much, but as an adoption attorney, I've had personal experience with many hundreds of young men. And I can tell you that as a whole, in our culture, they are an irresponsible and self-focused lot. Now, women, don't become too prideful over that statement. It never ceases to amaze me how some of the sweetest, sharpest, sometimes solid Christian young ladies can get involved and intimate with some of the biggest losers on the planet. For lion and lamb young men, the good news is that compared to those guys, you are shining examples. The bad news is that the Bible teaches us not to compare ourselves with others, but rather with the standard in God's Word. Now listen, the culture tells you to do as little, to work as little as possible. Don't take on commitments or get involved. Spend all your spare time playing sports or watching video games. In short, live for yourself and the here and the now. And I suspect a lot of the older men here would advise you don't fall into the traps that perhaps we fell into. You know, if you go out late on Saturday night with your friends, that's fine. But can you really minister on Sunday morning Sleeping in? Do you have quality time in the Word every day? How much eternal or even lasting temporal value is there in watching screens other than at work? Are you accountable to another man who is more spiritually mature than you? Are you serving anybody besides yourself? Young men, if you can't find fellowship and security 
in your families and in this church, as imperfect as both are, where on earth do you think you will find it? You have a tremendous asset here that in a few years you will never have again. Time. Use it wisely. Use it for something meaningful. For all of us, frankly, we don't know where our culture is going to end up in a few, few short years, particularly if our country does not change course and soon, things could be very different. It may be that God's plan for us is to go through some persecution. Whether that happens or not, in the end, when you look back, will you have to admit that you sat on the couch and watched TV? Or will you be able to say that you did all God called you to do when challenged to reconstitute this little part of the body of Christ that, so that we can be salt and light. Now, the leadership of Lion and Lamb knows we must resist the anesthesia of our culture. We've got to be like a committed athletic team. Lion and Lamb must intentionally work and train, come together to mold a stronger body and love one another in order to successfully carry out the mission of bringing light to the world. As Bart mentioned, in about three weeks, we will start something we have never done before, a combined Sunday school designed to encourage relationship within the family as well as within the church. It's just a four-week experiment during which we hope to model not only how households can function together as a team, but also how singles, young and old, can be a part of an interdependent body. I want to say something to the single adults and those approaching adulthood, both male and female, today. To be brutally honest, your group as a whole is the least plugged in to this body. And frankly, that's not all your fault. While some of you may not feel like you fit in with all these big and great families around you, do you think that maybe someday you might have a family of your own? Is it possible that you could learn something by talking and getting to know families that are presently struggling or have had experience in the difficult process of training up children in the Lord? Why not learn from their successes and their failures? You can't get that education anywhere else. And to get it, you've got to show up. To those who are married with or without children still in the home, let me ask, would you have appreciated having examples like that before you got married? Do you think you might have an obligation to train the next generation of parents? Now, will this little experiment work? Well, we don't know. We're just trying to feel our way through. We're trying to do something. What we do know is that God's Word teaches interdependence within the body and the family, and we want to encourage that. 
Our goal is not to create some unique Sunday school or to follow some model or some movement other than Christ. When this is over, we will evaluate what was helpful, what was not. But if you don't participate, you can't very well help us with that evaluation. I hope that you will not shy away from this challenge. If you care about this church, and I believe, ones that I know do, and you want to see it fulfill its mission within the body of Christ, I urge you to get in the game. Play a role. Relate to others that you don't know well now. Please know, just as we have been talking about how much we need the church, this church, this body, Lion and Lamb, needs each and every one of you. Let's pray. Father, we give praise to you. We thank you, Lord, for just the privilege we have to assemble together and to encourage and stimulate one another. Lord, uh, even in a little bit of a warm gym right now, we just praise you. And we ask that our, our worship coming up now and the Lord's table later would be a sweet savor to you. Thank you, Father. Help us to relate to one another and become stronger and stronger every day. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen.